Now we have the opportunity to put that truth, that prayer, into practice, to open the Word, and to seek to hear from the Lord something that is much easier said, perhaps much easier sung than done, to wait on the Lord, to hear from Him. This morning we want to hear from Him. We want to hear from the Lord, and our assignment for today is Exodus chapter 30. So let me invite you to open up. God's word with me this morning to Exodus chapter 30 as we continue our trek through this portion of God's word. We're not going to consider the whole chapter today. We're not going to read the whole chapter. This chapter introduces several elements, but elements that we've already seen uh, in our time through Exodus. And so we want to focus in on the first 10 verses. Exodus chapter 30 verses 1 through 10 where we read God's instructions to Moses to give to the Israelites concerning uh, the altar of incense, a piece of furniture that is to go in the tabernacle. And so you remember the story, you recall the story, God has delivered a people, he's delivered the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and he has led them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai where God is meeting meeting with Moses on top of Mount Sinai and he has given him instructions for what their relationship is going to look like. He has instructed Moses to tell the people to build a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a house for the Lord, a portable house for the Lord, and to furnish it with different articles, different pieces of furniture, all performing various functions in their worship. He's given instructions for the priestly ministry, and today we come to this one of the final pieces of furniture the altar of incense. And so let me invite you to hear from the Lord. Let's hear God's word together today. And as we do here at Meadowbrook, let me invite you to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. God says this. He says, Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide. Remember, we said before that a cubit was about 18 inches. So about 18 inches long and 18 inches wide and two cubits or three feet high. It's horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, two on each of the opposite sides To hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the ark of the covenant law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the covenant law where I will meet with you. All that to say that this particular piece of furniture was to go near the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Remember, in the most holy place was the ark of the covenant where God would dwell where he would meet with Moses and later Aaron and the high priest to follow. Verse 7, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. 
Let's pause together. Join me in prayer. Father, we pray that you would guide us now. We want to know you. Father, we express our faith that this is your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would instruct us through it, that you would guide us and clarify for us, Lord, that your spirit would convict us and conform us, Lord, that we might worship you as your children. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So there we have it, the instructions for the altar of incense. This little altar was a place for prayer. It was a place for prayer. Oxford Languages defines prayer as a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God or an object of worship. A solemn request for help or an expression of thanks to to God or an object of worship. You see, prayer and worship do go hand in hand, which is why the Lord told Moses to have the Israelites build the altar of incense. It would go in the tabernacle, a place of worship, a place to worship the Lord God. The tabernacle was God's house where he would dwell among his rescued people, where they would meet with him and where they would worship him. And part of that worship would be calling out to him in prayer. You see, only he is worthy of worship. Only the Lord God is worthy of worship, so only He should receive our prayers. Prayer is speaking to God. And so likewise, just as we want to be sure that when we gather as people of faith today in the name of the one and only God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when we gather in His name, we want to ensure that we hear from Him, that we open His Word, and that we also speak to Him, that we cry out to Him, that we call out to Him in prayer. See, God calls the saved to know him and to serve him. God calls the saved to know and serve him. He wants to be known by us, implying that he desires a relationship with us. And in Moses' day, the altar of incense would function to represent and to facilitate that relationship between God and his people, serving as both instruction and invitation to pray. To speak to the Lord. And so this image of the altar helps us clarify what it may have looked like. It was a small altar. It was perhaps about the size of this, this pulpit. And Aaron and the priests would burn a special blend of incense. Detailed at the end of this chapter in verses 34 and following, they would burn a special blend of incense according to God's instructions on this small altar situated in the holy place just outside the curtain, partitioning off the most holy place where the Lord dwelt. And the purpose was prayer, a place of regular prayer, the burning incense ascending to heaven, representing the prayers of the priest and the prayers of the people ascending to God. Now, this chapter, our text that we read a few moments ago, Exodus chapter 30, doesn't explicitly mention prayer. It doesn't explicitly directly make that connection for us. And so we need to look elsewhere to make this connection. And the Bible is its own best interpreter and the Bible elsewhere helps us here. In fact, David would pray in Psalm 141. He would say, I call out to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. 
Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. May my prayer be set before you like incense. A reference to the daily ritual in the tabernacle where the priests burned incense before the Lord. David was saying, Lord, just as you receive the incense of prayer in the tent, in the temple, so also, please, Lord, receive my prayers. Remember the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple that we are introduced to at the beginning of the New Testament, awaiting a child, elderly couple with, with no child, the parents of John the Baptist. They would become the parents of John the Baptist, this one uh, who would prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. Well, Luke, the gospel writer in the New Testament, tells us that Zechariah was a priest and that he was tending to the altar of incense when an angel appears to tell him that news. Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to what? To burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So as a priest, it was Zachariah's turn to go into the temple. It was his turn to burn the incense. And as he does, the people, the worshipers are out in the courtyard praying. In other words, as the priest prayed, so did the people. This was corporate prayer practiced by gathered believers those were, who were coming together to worship the Lord. Likewise, friends, when we gather to worship the Lord and someone leads us in prayer, perhaps a worship leader leads us in voicing a prayer, it's not a time to check out and wait for them to finish. It's a time to actively engage together, to pray together, to cry out to the Lord together. For God calls His people, He calls us, He calls His people to prepare for and practice intercessory prayer. God calls his people to prepare for and to practice intercessory prayer. That's what's going on here. That's what this little piece of furniture in God's sanctuary was for. It was a place of prayer, intercessory prayer, of praying to God on behalf of others. Now, we see this symbolism throughout the Bible, perhaps most vividly near the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, where John sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Remember in Revelation chapter 5, he portrays, he sees Jesus portrayed as a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne of heaven, ready to open the sealed scroll that's containing God's revelation. And John says, and when Jesus had taken it, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, perhaps angelic creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding, get this, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And again, in Revelation chapter 8, John records a vision of an angel at the golden altar, another name for this altar of incense, an angel at the golden altar offering incense to accompany the prayers of God's people. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. In other words, this is intercessory prayer. 
prayers for God to act in accordance with his will and on behalf of his people. So his people are crying out a vision of his people crying out for God to act in a way consistent with his character and in a way consistent with his plan, knowing that God is a God of justice, crying out for God to exercise justice, to carry out justice, crying out for God to display his, his mercy at the end of time, to gather his people, to enjoy his presence forever and ever and ever, crying out for the Lord to act according to his will and according to his promises, and he does. The Lord does. And so this... Symbolism of incense representing the prayers of God's people spans the pages of the scriptures, teaching us that God calls his people to prepare for and to practice intercessory prayer individually and corporately together as part of our worship. And the wonderful news, church, is that God hears the prayers of his people. He hears the prayers of his people. He hears, God hears our prayers. Every single one of them, always. God hears the prayers of his people and he responds to them. He does not ignore them. He invites them. He hears them and he answers them. I can remember, perhaps you've had this thought, but I can remember as a child particularly having this thought, how in the world, how in the world can God hear my prayers and at the very same time here, Aunt Betsy's prayers and little Susie's prayers and Grandpa Jones's prayers, how can he keep all of that straight? How can he keep all of that in order? Perhaps you've wondered the same thing. Have you ever wondered if God was listening? If he heard your prayers, if he heard everything that you had to say to him, he was. Have you ever wondered if God cared? He does. He hears the prayers of his people and the whole reason he's instructing and inviting the Israelites to come before him in prayer is because they are his people. People that he has called out of darkness. People that he has rescued and invited into relationship with him, called out of bondage into relationship with God to know him and to serve him. And so Moses, God says, go tell the Israelites Go tell those enslaved Israelites in Exodus chapter 6 that I will take you as my own people. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God hears the prayers of his people. So who are his people? Who are God's people? God's people are those whose sins are forgiven. Because people are those whose sins are forgiven. Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you confident that your sins, that your wrongs, that your transgressions, that your sins are forgiven? God rescued a people. He rescued Abraham's offspring from physical slavery in Egypt. But that slavery symbolized a deeper slavery. A greater need, the, the need for forgiveness, the need for reconciliation with God. In other words, God didn't simply correct the injustice of human slavery of one people oppressing another and then call it quits. There was that, that horizontal oppression, that horizontal injustice, that horizontal sin was only a symptom of a greater problem, the problem of a broken relationship with the one who made us. No, God rescued these people to be in relationship with him to come. 
He rescued them so that he might come and settle among them that they might know him as their God, enjoying his constant presence and his abundant provision. And so God tells them to build a sanctuary. Tells them to build a tabernacle so he can dwell among them. But if the holy God is to dwell among them, as we've seen already, if the holy God is to dwell among sinners, if the Almighty One is going to enter into relationship with rebels, then a sacrifice of atonement must be made to overcome the sin barrier and to satisfy God's righteous requirement left unmet by them. So once a year, the Bible says, and this is detailed in Leviticus chapter 16, once a year, but it's referenced here at the end of Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, a special sacrifice must be made with blood sprinkled all over the place. And one of those places being on the altar of incense, showing that only the forgiven can come before God. Only the forgiven can come Before God, demonstrating that access to God through prayer is only on the basis of the blood that makes atonement for sin. Portrayed vividly, annually, on the day of atonement, an event you did not miss, but also practiced daily, not just annually, also daily on the bronze altar outside the tent. Exodus 29, verse 38. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Every day. Two lambs, a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. A morning and an evening sacrifice every day, day after day, coinciding with the incense burned every day on this little altar. Verse 7, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Let's not miss what's going on here. So we return to our little image of the tabernacle, the tent that was built there in the courtyard, surrounded by the courtyard and the fence. And there in the courtyard was the bronze altar, the altar of of burnt offering firmly planted. You can see that firmly planted between the entrance to the courtyard and the tent, the presence of the Lord. Between the people and God's presence, a reminder that as sinners we can only approach God through a substitutionary sacrifice. But there within the tent, the tent was divided up into two rooms. And you can see there the walls of the tent, a two-room tent, especially in the inner room was where the Lord would dwell. In the back of the tent, this was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant would, but standing just outside, you can't hardly see it there in that picture, but just outside the inner room, between the bronze altar in the courtyard and the presence of God in the inner room is the altar of incense. This little altar standing there in front of the partition, the place of prayer. The place where the attending priest would speak to God on behalf of the people. A place to come before the presence of God, having been forgiven by the blood of a sacrifice, knowing that the Lord would be listening. Friends, the Lord listens to the prayers of His children. He listens to the prayers of His people and He doesn't just hear them. The Bible conveys that He delights in them. That He is pleased with them. That He wants to hear from us. Prayers from the forgiven please the Lord. 
prayers from the forgiven. Prayers from the recipients of His grace. Prayers from His children. Prayers from those that are in right relationship with Him. Prayers from His people. Please the Lord. God calls His people to prepare for and practice intercessory prayer, knowing that as they do, He will be pleased. God will be pleased. He will be honored. He will delight in the prayers of His people. Verse 7, Aaron must burn fragrant incense. Fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lambs. A sweet aroma to the Lord. A sweet aroma to the God of salvation, suggesting that the prayers and cries of God's people are a sweet aroma rising to the Lord. They please the Lord. Friend, did you know that your prayers please the Lord? That He delights in them. Believe it, that He loves to hear from you. That He longs for you to walk with Him and to lean on Him. Brother, sister, speaking to God isn't a burden. It's not a chore. It's not a, a checked box or a religious ritual that God may see and look on us with favor. But it's the natural activity and overflow of hearts and lives that have been rescued from sin by God's gracious hand. As our Father, He delights in hearing from us. And because we know that He delights in us, how could we not also delight in speaking to Him? Like a fragrant incense simmering on hot coals, rising to the Lord of heaven are the prayers of God's people. Church, why then? Why in the world would we, the forgiven, not long to fill our days, not long to fill our time speaking to the Lord? As sinners saved by grace, how could we not rejoice always? How could we not pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is His will for us, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. See, God desires and delights in hearing from us. And through the blood of Jesus that has been shed for us, He invites us to come on into the inner room, to come on before the throne of His grace through Jesus. He is, Jesus is, our permanent priest and our perfect sacrifice. Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Able to save us fully, all who come to the Lord, who come before the Father, who come before His throne through the blood of Jesus Christ, He is able to save us completely. Since Jesus paved the way, since Jesus opened the way, since Jesus is the way of salvation, let's be a people who pray confidently and continually through Jesus Christ. Friends, let's pray confidently, knowing that God welcomes us into His presence through the blood of Christ that covers us and cleanses us. Let's pray confidently and continually through Jesus, knowing that our Heavenly Father delights in the prayers of His children. That God Almighty welcomes us to know Him and to commune with Him because our sin debt has already been paid. The barrier of separation is no longer necessary where guilt has been pardoned and judgment outpoured. So friends, let's pray confidently and continually through Jesus Christ. Let's delight in the God who made us and who sustains us and who has now redeemed us, graciously redeemed us, saved us, delivered us, rescued us in and through Jesus Christ. Friends, let's hear the call. Let's hear the invitation. Let's hear the privilege and the opportunity 
the joy and the delight of speaking with God. And let's be a people who speak to Him. Let's speak to Him. Day by day, moment by moment, acknowledging His character, thanking Him for His provision. And it's a joy to share with you this morning that our intercessory prayer room, named after Ross and Jane Carpenter, longtime members of Meadowbrook, faithful members here that loved the Lord and served in many ways, not least of which was through a ministry of prayer, that that prayer room at the end of this floor has been recently updated and refreshed. We encourage you to stop by today before you leave, to peek into that space and to utilize that space as the Lord leads you to pray as a place of prayer, a place to pray specifically for the needs of our church family, our recent church prayer requests, a place to pray specifically for for the nations of the world, for our own nation, for the lost, for those sent out to the nations of the world. Let me invite, let me encourage you to visit that space and as the Lord leads you to utilize time in that space to pray. And if you have questions about that and how to engage in that ministry, let me encourage you particularly to talk to Chrissy Bolin, who's taken that on. But let's be a people who pray. Let's just be a people who cry out to God. Let's be a people who engage in prayer for the glory of God. Are you speaking with God? Are you talking to Him? Knowing that He hears you. Knowing that He has extended forgiveness to you through the blood of His Son, our Savior. Knowing that He delights in the prayers of His children. And acknowledging that there is one who is already praying for you right now. Now, right now, interceding on your behalf before the Father in heaven. Our high priest, church, is already praying for us. This is good news. Our high priest is is already praying for us. Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for us now, like Aaron in the tabernacle, like Zechariah in the temple, and every priest in between. So our high priest, Jesus Christ, is in the inner room. He's alive. He's active. He's praying for our good. He's praying for our growth. He's praying for our unity. He's praying for our perseverance and faith, for our comfort, for our witness. Jesus is praying for us. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is alive and he is interceding for us. He is praying for us. And God the Father will answer the prayers of his son. About a hundred years ago lived a man named Dr. M.R. Dahan. He was a physician in the early part of the 20th century. He was a physician during some difficult days. He was a, phys- a physician during uh, World War I. He was a physician through the Spanish flu, uh, through the Great Depression. And he once became ill. About a 100 years ago, he became severely ill. He didn't know if he was going to make it. And so he cried out to God as a man of faith. He said, God, if you save me, I will devote my life to serving you. Well, you know what? God saved him. God spared his life. And so shortly thereafter, he gave up his medical practice and uh, Dr. Dahan went to uh, seminary to prepare for ministry. After seminary, he began teaching, he began preaching, he began pastoring, not only in a local church, but he had a radio ministry that would reach thousands that ultimately was broadcast over much of the world and later gave, gave rise to a ministry of which you perhaps have heard, our daily bread devotional guide. But listen to what Dr. Dahan said about the tabernacle. 
particularly about these altars. The golden altar or the altar of incense and the bronze altar or the altar of burnt offering. Listen to what he wrote. He said, at the brazen altar, a.k.a. the bronze altar, the altar in the courtyard for sacrifice, At the brazen altar, Christ died for us. He shed his blood. He reconciled us to God and made us forever secure in him. But on the golden altar, a.k.a. the altar of incense, he lives in heaven to intercede for those for whom he has already died and who were already saved. He says the brazen altar speaks of the death of Christ. The golden altar speaks of the living, resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. The two altars therefore speak of the death and the resurrection and constitute the full message of the gospel. Church, not only, not only did Jesus our Savior surrender his life on the cross of Calvary for us in our place as the pure and perfect sacrifice, receiving the penalty and paying the price of our salvation, but this very same Lord sits now. He sits right now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Jesus is praying for us. Our heavenly high priest is interceding on our behalf. He is praying for us and for all of God's people. And so church, let's join Jesus in praying for God's people. Let's follow his lead. Let's join Jesus. Let's join our Savior in being a people who pray and who pray specifically for God's people. And so I want us to transition this morning. I want us to do something perhaps a bit different for us, something that we don't do every week. I want us to transition to a time of prayer. And I want us to pray specifically for our city, for Birmingham, Alabama, surrounding area for North Shelby County, right here in which we live and worship. Let's pray for this city and specifically let's pray for believers. Let's pray for the church, for churches across this city. Let's lift them up to God knowing that God hears our prayers, that He delights in our prayers, that He desires to answer our prayers. Let's pray that the church in Birmingham, Alabama would be characterized by growth and unity, by a gospel witness for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to pause together. There are going to be several folks voicing a prayer to that end, and then we'll transition shortly into a time of response. But together, church, let's pray. Let's cry out to God, knowing that He hears us and that He is at work for our good and for His glory. Let's pray that that would be so right here in Birmingham, Alabama. Let's bow together this morning. Father, we do pray in this way. Father, we pray that your name would be praised in your people who live and worship in Birmingham, Alabama. Father, this day, today on April the 25th, 2021, Lord, we pray that you would be exalted across this city, that your name would be lifted high, that you would be magnified, and Father, that your people would delight in you as you delight in us. Father, we pray that you would give us unity in a day of disunity. Father, we pray that you would give us fervor and zeal for sharing and showing the love of Jesus, not to make some name for ourselves, but simply, Father, because there is much to be made of you. You are worthy of our praise, and you have rescued us out of darkness. And so, Lord, we long to tell others about your rescuing love. Lord, guide us in that way. Work for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Lord, I just want to lift up and continue to pray and praise you for 
being your children, for being your called and your chosen ones, to be a part of your family, to be in great relationship with you, that you've chosen to bless us in that way. And just want to praise you for that. Jesus, I want to praise you for always interceding on our behalf, that you're always making appeal for our good on behalf, on our behalf. God, I just want to pray for our unity uh, across the city and specifically uh, the unity of the believers, that we would have the unity of the Spirit that is ours, that we are all one in Christ, that we have uh, been given that uh, by what Jesus has done for us. And I just pray that we would have the unity of faith, uh, that we would come together uh, as a family of faith, not just uh, in this church family, but across all the churches uh, in Birmingham and the world that we would be one in Christ, that we uh, that we are, that we would live that way, that we would grow up into uh, maturity together, that we would grow up through discipleship, through the treasuring of your word, uh, that we would see that that is the one truth and that we would all uh, grow up together into it. And Lord, I just pray that we would grow together in love, that we would love one another, that we would put others first, uh, that we would do that in a way uh, that is honoring to you, that we would reach across lines of separation, uh, that have been artificially placed on us through history and through our selfishness, that we would put those things aside and that we would just seek unity in Christ that, uh, that has been bought for us and that we would just live that out in a way that is attractive to the world and just points other people to the goodness uh, that is in Jesus Christ. And it's his name I pray. Amen. Father, what a privilege it is to come before you this morning. You are rock, our redeemer our Savior and our friend. Father, we come before you boldly. You say, come before you boldly. We come before you this morning. We ask that you will forgive us of our sin. Father, we have failed you. We confess that we have not loved each other. We have been unkind. We've been arrogant. Father, we confess to you that only because of your son's, the shedding of his blood on the cross that we can come before you, come before you this morning. We ask for boldness, Father. We ask that we put aside anything that might make us embarrassed or feel like that we're not worthy or adequate. You equip us. May we put ourselves aside and allow your Holy Spirit to work through us. Father, I too pray for our precious church, our church family. I pray that you'll just continually build this church up. Thank you so much for our leaders who love you, who exemplify the love of your son. Father, we adore you. We thank you so much for this time together this morning again. May us truly walk in your steps every day. In your precious son's name I pray. And Father, may we not be ashamed of the gospel because we believe it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, also we read believing that the feet of those who bring the good news are beautiful. And so, Father, we pray today that you would help us, guide us, direct us, lead us as a church family, as the body of Christ in this city, 
to truly know and love and serve and take the gospel to those who are in need. Father, I pray that you as the God of hope would fill each person who has yet to come to know you with all joy and peace in believing that good news so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, they may abound in your hope. Father, you call your people all across the world. And in this very room, you call us to respond. You call us to respond continually to who you are, to what you have done, and what you promise us in the future. So, Father, open our hearts and open our minds. Raise our hands and move our feet that we might respond boldly to our need for you. Father, hear our cry now as your church in this place responds to you. In the name of Jesus Christ.